So, uh, yeah, uh, Good Friday, we are doing a service at 7.30. And just to let you know, good, the Good Friday service, it's really, uh, if you call yourself a, a believer, it's probably a good service for you. It's probably not a service you want to invite your friends that don't know Jesus to. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very focused upon Christ and His death and, and our sin, and it helps us really reflect upon, you know, the coming Easter, which is Resurrection Day. Woo-hoo. You guys. There you go. Easter. Uh, I got this thing. Uh, it says single, single, singles. So, uh, the we're, we're doing a, a brand new uh, small group, but it's going to be kind of a small, large group for unmarried guys and girls. They're, they're between 20 and 30 years old. They're all going up to the beach on... April 10th at 4 p.m. for a big barbecue so all of you guys can get together. And then we're actually going to start a couple small groups for unmarried single girls and unmarried single guys. And... You know, that'd be so rude if I said we're going to have an old people group. (laughs) Going to play shuffleboard. Lawn bowling. I don't even know what to say now. Uh, if, if, you, uh, if you'd like more information about that, uh, you can email Mikey at ourelement.org. You know, like the life serial, Mikey likes it, which I guess just totally dates me right there. But Mikey at ourelement.org, and he can get you more information on that. We encourage all of you guys who are looking for a group to come. That would be great. Uh, and lastly, uh, my name is Eric Jafruti, and... <laughs> Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the elders here at Element, just to let you know who I am. Why don't you guys uh, stand with us reading God's Word. This is Proverbs 27, verse 6, and it says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we as a people would understand that friends sometimes wound us. And we need to be people who walk forward in the grace that you have given to us and working out the relationships in our lives that you have placed us within. Help us to truly be your people, a people of reconciliation and grace. Amen. Have a seat. Uh, We are going through the book of Ephesians. We are in chapter 4, if you want to open your Bibles there. If you didn't bring a Bible or you don't have one, there's Bibles in the back. We will give you one. You can take it home. It can be yours forever or until it rains and all all the... text runs. Uh, There are sermon notes on all the communion tables around the room if you want some sermon notes because apparently I talk really fast. We are in week 11 of Ephesians. We are over halfway done. Woohoo, good for you guys. Uh, Today might be tough for you and and that's okay. Actually, these last week and this week and next week are all kind of be tough weeks with the subject matter, but stick with it. You'll be blessed on the other side of it. Uh, The book of Hebrews tells us that scripture is like a sword. It opens us up and inspects us. And today, my hope is that you'll get cut open and that God will take certain things out of you that need to be removed. And I say what I say today because I love you. Ephesians 4 is a great examination tool for our lives. So far in Ephesians, what we have seen is that our sin separates us from God and each other. And Jesus comes to take away our sin through His death and His resurrection. And He reconciles us, one, to Himself, so we can be God's children. And secondly, to each other, so that we can actually be this thing that we call the church. This body of people living and loving Christ and other people. Now, Paul pauses here in Ephesians to talk about one sin in particular that really tends to separate people, and that is the sin of bitterness. 
bitterness. And you may say, oh, crap, I shouldn't have come today. <laughs> you know, yes, you should have. It's good for you. I mean, you might say it because maybe you're bitter, but we're going to work on that. This will be a great sermon if you don't run out of the room real fast. This will be good for you. People become bitter very easily. Uh, when someone sins against you, you either forgive them or you become bitter. Bitterness, I think, comes in three ways. One way is that someone really does sin against you. The second way is that someone really doesn't sin against you and you just think they did. This happens all the time. You ever have somebody mad at you and you have no idea why they're mad at you? Yeah? Okay. Okay. Happens to me a lot. A little bit ago, I had someone who was very mad at me and I walked up and and I said, Hey, I hear you're angry with me. Well, you said this. And I go, I didn't say that. And they said, Well, so-and-so said that you said this. And I go, Hold on, because so-and-so was in the general vicinity. So I grabbed so-and-so and I brought them in and I said, Okay, so let's deal with this. And the person said, Well, you said that he said that, you know, one of those. And I go, Did I say that? And they go, Oh, no, you didn't say that. And I go, There we go. See, we're good, right? <laughs> Not really. Okay. And then in, and then in James 3.14, it also tells you that people become bitter from selfish ambition or envy. People become bitter because they're jealous. Some people covet what other people have or what other people are. Some people are smart, and you maybe not think that you are. Some people are attractive. You think that you are not. Some people have maybe a better spouse or a better life, car, job, talent, ability, something like that. Jason Castillo, I'm always jealous. He's such a great softball player, and I'm always in the outfield going, oh, if I could catch a ball, that'd be so good. (laughs) Just just always a little jealous. I'm just kidding, by the way. Yeah. In desiring what other people have, this is envy. It's a root of bitterness. You may at times wonder why certain people are angry and hate you. You may not even have done anything wrong. They are simply jealous, and that becomes bitterness. This is much like Satan. Satan envies God. He didn't want to worship God. He wanted to be God. Jealousy, the heart of which is pride. So who are you most likely to be bitter against? Mark Driscoll writes this. I think it's hilarious. He says, Bitterness is not so much related to the matter of the offense, but the proximity of the offender. This means a complete stranger can be a total jerk, and you probably will not get bitter against them. You may get mad, but not bitter. But a close friend or a family member does something minor, you have a greater propensity to get bitter with them because you expect more from them. Strangers don't let you down. Friends let you down. Friends disappoint you. Friends break your heart. Our bitterness is much more likely to be directed toward those closest to us, either kids or parents or coworkers or friends or, or your spouse, which is always to me kind of funny because we all know our families are crazy, right? And yet how, why do we expect them to act like they're not crazy when they're all crazy to begin with? And this even extends all the way to God. In the book of Ruth, there is a woman. Her name is Naomi. And Naomi has a point in her life where her husband and her kids die. And she changes her name from Naomi, which means sweet, to Mara, which means bitter. And in Ruth 1.20, she says, The Almighty has made my life very bitter. And that is the great lie of bitterness. It's that it's someone else's fault as to why we're bitter. You say, well, of course I'm, I'm angry. Look at what they said. Look at what they did. The truth is that we are responsible for our own bitterness. It is not that we're just clean and lovely and beautiful and somebody else fills us with bitterness and rage. Luke 6.45, Jesus says, The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. So what comes out of you is an indicator of what is actually in you. If bitterness and anger and rage comes out, then that's what's in there. 
Amy Carmichael. Uh, she was a missionary to India in the early 20th century. And she gives this illustration about a glass of sweet water and a glass of bitter, nasty water. You know, if you go up and, and you bump a glass of, of sweet water, what's going to come out? Sweet water. You bump a glass of bitter, nasty water, what's going to come out? Bitter, nasty water. It's not the bump that filled the glass. It just knocked out what was inside. You and I, we will get bumped our entire lives. People will sin against us. We will sin against other people. Life is like that. It is very disappointing. People will injure you. And we will have a propensity to lash out and say, look at what you made me do, rather than say, look at what you revealed me to actually be. You know, because that is the honest answer. You know, this is who I am. They didn't change you. We get to see who we really are. Too many people live their life trying not to get bumped. They, they, they get rid of their friends. They won't join a small group. And so, they, and so we try to isolate ourselves, and that is not good. Scripture says it is not good for us to be alone. So today we're going to look at bitterness, how to address that issue in our hearts, so when we do get bumped, good things actually come out of us that are honoring to God and not dishonoring. So Ephesians 4.25 is where we're going to start. I think this is where Paul kind of starts with the whole thing. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. The first thing he talks about is honesty. Honesty. You don't lie. If you're bitter, you be honest about it, especially with yourself. You don't rename it. Oh, I'm just so disappointed. No, you're bitter. Name it. If someone you know, continues to hurt you, you need to talk to them, not about them. You need to talk to them. But many people, we, we just hold it inside and we let it simmer. And people say, how are you doing? And we say, fine. Or we say, fine. You know, you go, really? Seems like something's bothering you. You know, did, did I do something? No, you're perfect. Well, I'm glad we got that clarified, you know, because I was, we, we were, what, sure, nothing. Okay, just be honest. You know, your tone, the way you stand, your posture, it's saying what you're actually thinking. You say, when you did this, it offends me, and it is hurting our friendship. Lying for the sake of unity does not bring unity. In our society, in order to avoid issues, we simply just avoid people. People will change churches, change services. You get caller ID on your phone. So it's, oh, that's so-and-so calling? I'm not going to answer that. And then they see you later and they say, hey, I called you. And you go, oh, I didn't know. I left you a message. Oh, I didn't get it. My phone machine must be broken. You know, rather than say you drive me nuts and I got caller ID so I didn't have to answer your phone call. And I can lie to you about it later. Verse 26, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, is it a sin to be angry? No, not at all. Some people who call themselves Christians have this fake plastic smile. It's very creepy, if you've ever seen it. <laughs> oh, I got angry. It, oh, it's so terrible. Oh, no, Christians are supposed to drive tiny little itty bitty cars, wear sweater vests, be really nice. No, anger is not a sin. Did Jesus ever sin? No, no the answer is no. Okay, just in case you missed that. <laughs> Did Jesus get angry? Yes, Jesus did. When religious people were ripping people off, when they were hurting others, he got mad. When you get angry, you must ask, is my anger justifiable? Was it an offense against others or God that was committed? Anger can be a very good motivator. Not, not to make you scream and yell and honk your horn and make gestures with your fingers, but it can be a great motivator. Angry people tend to act. Mothers against drunk drivers. What this is, is you have some angry moms that drunk drivers had killed their children justifiable anger. They made them get like-minded people together and protect children. Anger towards a positive solution. But anger can also be a justification for sin. That's why he says, in your anger, do not sin. 
because that sin can push you farther away from God. If you think you have a right to be angry, many times we feel like we have a right to sin because we are angry. You never have a right to sin, ever. Oh, they made me mad. Okay, anger is justifiable. Sin is not. Uh, If your spouse becomes unfaithful, anger is justifiable. But what will it propel you to do? I've, I've actually, a few years ago, talked to a couple in my office, and, and one was unfaithful, so the other one did it just to get even. It's not justifiable. A coworker maybe steals your client or your account or your contacts and treats you like garbage. Anger is justifiable. Retribution is not. People get confused on this issue all the time. You cannot use your anger as an excuse for sin. You use it to propel you towards righteous conclusions. And then Paul says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And that day when the sun set, the day is over. This is a nice way of saying, you don't let it sit. You don't let it fester. If there's a problem, deal with it quickly. Some of you, not me because I just beat a dead horse till it's gone, but you know, some people, what they do is they'll let you, they, they get all angry and you want to work it out and they run away and let you sit and fester where you, I, I got to deal with this. And they don't let you deal with it. And that's their way of punishing you. Maybe you may need to step back for an hour and deal with it, but then get your thoughts straight and come back in and deal with the conversation about the hurt. But most of us, we'll let it sit and fester for days and weeks and months and years, and it just gets worse. I mean, you, you, you think that uh, if you ignore it, it's just going to go away. Does it ever go away? No, it doesn't. If you have a friend with an issue and you ignore it for two months, is it gone? No, no. Sin separates people. I've been telling you this for about eight weeks now as we go through Ephesians. Sin separates people. Bitterness replays the same event over and over and over in our minds. And it's making things worse and not better. Some of you could tell about that conversation years ago in minute detail. You'd be like, oh, it was a cold winter's day. The rain was just starting to fall over my right shoulder and the faint odor of lilacs was wafting through the air like geese flying south for the winter and then so-and-so showed up, and they said such-and-such, and did this thing, and it's right there. And you, and you have this moment in your life, and it is destroying you. Your life becomes defined by this one moment or event. It is destroying you. If you don't deal with it, it simply grows. If you are married, you know how this goes, right? Maybe not just me. No, okay. Uh, there's an issue. You don't talk about it. When you go to bed, do you sleep differently? Yes. Yes. The coldest place on earth is the bed. It can be 100 degrees outside and the bed is ice cold. <laughs> you know, up goes the blood pressure. You know, some people get really sick to their stomach. I mean, do not think that all the stress in the world has nothing to do with sin. And then Paul says this. If you don't deal with it, verse 27, he says, And do not give the devil a foothold. Anybody rock climb? Anybody seen rock climbing on TV? <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> How important is a foothold? Very important. It's everything. It gives you forward momentum. Paul says you're giving the enemy forward leverage in your life to get further into your life and make you more bitter if you don't deal with it. Satan is angry at God and he wants you to participate in his rebellion against God. And he will start by getting the thing that somebody, somebody, yes, they sinned against you. Okay, good. Now be angry. You know, simmer in your rage. Convince yourself that you're justified. He will encourage you then to be dishonest so he can make progress in you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. 
Satan doesn't work by twisting little girls' heads around and doing crazy things with crucifixes and spewing green goo. He works like this through bitterness because it is so effective and it is so subtle. That is spiritual warfare. Verse 28, Paul says, He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Last week we talked about how Paul talks about taking off and putting on, taking off and putting on. Our first instinct when we're hurt is to declare war. Paul says you take that off and you pray for them. You know, these hands that you used to chuck things around with. Now do something useful and positive. Go work for Habitat with, for Humanity and build a house. Do something positive. If you've been stealing, you help somebody. We are people who will try to justify ourselves all the time. Well, I'm just a plate-chucking, cursing, Irish, country music-loving freak. You know, we just say, I just can't help myself. That's what it is. We blame it on our ethnicity. Well, I'm Latino, or Greeks are passionate. Irish people are drunken thugs. We're just hot-headed. You know, my family's crazy. You know, the question is not, where do you come from? The question is, is this who you are supposed to be? That's the question. You know, it may be this family that you came from was like this, but in Christ, that's not who you are supposed to be. Do you want to be like Jesus? Do you want to be like Satan? Do you want to be bitter? Do you want to be forgiven? If you are bitter, you will replay these past events in your mind over and over. You'll become like an archaeologist, always digging up past things to bring them out and say, oh, look what I found. Um, I recently had a couple in my office, no one in this room, don't project, it's not you, okay? Uh, they're married uh, about, about 20 years, and she starts to recount everything for the 20 years that, that he has done. And he's patient, and she's done, then he, then he brings out everything for the past 20 years that she has done, like, like I'm judged, and I'm supposed to pick who's right. I am not Judge Judy, this is not the people's court, okay? This is, I actually stopped him in the middle of it, and I said, when did you guys get so bitter? Yeah, well, we're not bitter. And I'm like, yeah, you're bitter. You know, you, you know you're bitter by your words, who you say it to. You don't talk to the person you're angry at. You talk to other people about that person. We call this gossip. That, that's what we call that. People try always to make gossip sound so holy. Oh, pray for so-and-so because they're a such-and-such. -such. You know, that's, that's what we say it. Some of you have a nickname for those you are bitter against. You know, it's, it's not a nickname that you would give like a, like a child or a friend, but it's, it's, you know, sometimes it begins with A, ends with whole, starts with... <laughs> Starts with S, ends with head, you know. Maybe it's your ex, or maybe it's your new boyfriend's ex, and you got that little name for him. Bitterness has certain things come out of our mouths that should never come out of our mouths. Yet we feel vindicated when we do it. You may even have somebody in mind right now. You're like, oh, yeah, that's who that is. So Paul says this. He keeps just moving forward with this. Verse 29, he says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Wow. Or your keyboard. Well, I didn't say it out loud. I just typed it. You're a Pharisee, all right? It's, it counts. It all counts. Uh, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. The people who hear you, is it going to benefit? Is it going to build those up around you? Many times when we are bitter, we don't want to say nice words. We want to say words that hurt others because we hurt, so we want them to hurt as well. Words that sting. But are they words that your enemy would say or are they words that your God would say? Who are you supposed to be? God has many harsh words throughout Scripture for people, but He is always honest. Verse 30, and Paul says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Bitterness grieves God. The Holy Spirit comes and He opens our hearts and He opens our eyes and reveals Christ, empowers us for service and ministry, conforms us to the likeness of God's Son. And when we get bitter, it grieves him. 
because we are fighting against Him, because we are seeking the exact opposite of what He wants in our lives. It grieves Him because He is trying to shape us to be more like Christ, and we are striving to be more like Satan. So the issue of bitterness is not just between you and other people. It also becomes between you and God as well. So verse 31, if you look at this. Verse 31, so Paul says this, Get rid of how much? All. All bitterness. Why? Because it's like a cancer. You would hate it if you, if you had cancer and you went to surgery and the doctor comes up after it and he goes, Well, I think we got most of it. You'd be like, What? Not all? Most? Woohoo! Okay, this is great. You get all of it. Because if you do not get all of it, it will replicate and it will grow. It will come back. And if you don't get all bitterness, it cycles to rage, starts to boil. Then it turns, Paul says, in anger. This is like, I'm furious. I'm seething. My tone changes. My facial expression changes. Before it could have gone either way, now it's just going bad. Then it goes to, Paul says, brawling. Now you want to fight, verbal or physical. Brawling is where you're going to make the other person pay. And then Paul says, and slander. This is like we were fighting, I wasn't winning, and now everyone's going to get everybody else involved in our confrontation. You get on the phone and you tell everyone about how so-and-so is a such-and-such. Slander is where you won't work it out, so you get other people to be your jury. And you omit certain truths. You know, you just say everything that's all good about you and terrible about them. This goes back to the beginning where Paul says to speak truthfully to one another. The truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. You know, slander is a bit of the truth which is most beneficial to you in a positive light. Slanderers omit tremendous details. Again, this is no one you know. I have permission to share the story. So, But I, I had a couple in my office recently I was talking to. A young guy calls me on the phone and he says, you know what, uh, I don't think my wife cares about me anymore. Uh, she, she withholds sex when she's mad. And I go, well, let's talk about it. So he goes, oh, she won't want to talk. And I go, well, let's, so I call her up. She says, oh, yeah, I'll come in and talk. And I go, cool. Okay, so I get into my office and I, and I look at her and I say, okay, so this is what he says is going on. And she goes, oh, really? Did he tell you that, you know, after work he goes out drinking and he comes at me when he gets home from work with all of his drunk hands trying to touch me. He doesn't do any work around the house, doesn't help me with the kids. Uh, he expects me to do all the work all day long and then get him off at night. And I'm like, wow. I look at him and I go, is this true? <laughs> And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and I go, you're a jerk. <laughs> and I said, not that nicely. I might have actually used one of the other words that's not supposed to come out of your mouth earlier. <laughs> you know, I, you, know it, it, you want your wife to have time for you. Well, you need to take your time after work and invest in her so she has time. You want her to have more energy for sex. Then take all this extra time you have, come home, do some of her work so she has more energy for you. You are not 19 anymore. You've got to grow up and be an adult. Before you get sucked into people who are giving you slander, you must get the whole story. You cannot just say, oh, this person said this, so you just believe the story. You've got to get the whole thing. Imagine if our court system was not based on eyewitness testimony. Oh, he's a jerk. Oh, we got another one. Go pick him up. Put him in jail. You know, that's why we have eyewitness testimony. When we slander, we go to people who will agree with us, not people who will straighten us up. You have two kinds of friends. One you call when you are sinned against and one that you call when you sin. You know, if your husband ticks you off, you're going to call your friend that's like, oh yeah, I know how you, how you feel. Let me tell you about my husband. Your wife ticks you off. You're going to call your friend that says, you think your wife's mean? I don't even know, know if my wife is human. I can't find her on the evolutionary chart. <laughs> you know, oh, you like to scream and chuck things? Me too. I do that every Friday. It's like exercise. 
You know, I, I love doing it. You're totally normal. I understand. Oh, please pray, pray for me. Praise the Lord. You know, that kind of stuff. And then Paul says, slander goes to along with every form of malice. This is like the junk drawer of everything else. This is, you're going to suffer. You know, I, yeah, I don't care what it costs. I don't, it's, as long as you suffer as well. Some people plot for years on the demise of their enemy. This can lead to jail, divorce, injuries, suing each other, families fall apart. Some of you know what this is like. Some of you maybe had parents when you were growing up and your mom and dad would be mad and they'd pull you in the other room and they would talk to you about the other parent. This is malice, trying to get you and pit you against the other parent. And this is wrong. And if you don't deal with bitterness, you and I will do deplorable things. Most people never intended to end up in malice, but bitterness just festered and ballooned to anger and slander and ended up at malice. Hebrews 12, 15 the writer says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is like weeds. Bitterness is like that. If you do not get the root, it's just going to grow right back. You can try to be nicer and more loving and more compassionate, but unless you dig out that root system, bitterness, sin, it's just going to come back. This means that you and I need Jesus. We need the gospel. Bitterness has destroyed whole families and even whole churches. And the only shovel that can dig out that root is the shovel of grace. And this is where Paul goes. Verse 32, he says, be kind. Now think of your worst enemy in the world and just be kind and compassionate to one another. Compassion only comes to those who understand the depth of their own sin. When we realize how bad that we are and how good God is. This is compassion versus our own brand of justice. We are all bad. The person you want justice against usually wants justice against you as well. The compassionate person realizes that they need compassion as well. And God does give justice. And either you pay for your sin or Jesus does on the cross. We are people who love to give out justice for all the perceived wrongs that are done to us all the time. God is the one who has the true ability to hand out justice. So we are called to the next thing. Paul, this is so hard. He goes, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Past tense. In forgiving people, we realize that either they will find Christ and be forgiven or they will meet God's justice. Our duty as believers is to forgive people. Well, what if they don't seek me out? What if they don't repent before me? You know, what, what, what if they don't come and seek my forgiveness? It doesn't say anything about that. It just says you need to learn how to forgive. Your conduct is not contingent on anyone else. Your conduct is contingent on the gospel of Christ. You have been offered grace and kindness and forgiveness. So you must extend that to other people. There's only one person I know who has the right to be bitter, and that is Jesus. That is Jesus. God creates us, tells us to enjoy his creation, you know, live life with me, enjoy our relationship. J just don't sin. You know, and what do we do? Sin. It's the first thing we run out and do. Then we walk and we wander. We run from God. But God then seeks us out, becomes a man to get close to us, is tempted in every way in which we are, yet he is without sin. He is hated. He is mocked. He is spat upon. They say terrible things about his mom and his dad. And then we kill him. And on the cross, he prays, forgive them. Goes to the tomb, rises from the dead. And not only does he want forgiveness for us, but he makes it possible for us to forgive other people by forgiving and taking away our own sin. If anyone could be bitter, it is Jesus. It's like, I made you and you blew it. I came for you. You killed me. What do you want? What do you want? 
You, know, you reap what you sow, just, just as for you. Are you. Aren't you glad that God is not bitter? One day God looks at you and says, you know, I'm mad at you and it's not going to go well for you. We're going to brawl and I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to make you live a long life of misery because I'm mad at you. You know, and, and, and I'm not going to slander you. I'm just going to tell everybody the truth about you. Okay? I'm gonna, all the little vile, nasty, mean, anger, rage stuff that you try to hide, I'm going to make a movie. And I'm going to show it to everybody. Everywhere you go, it's going to be like, boom. Oh, hey, did you see what he did last night when I was looking? Boop. Here. God could totally do that. And then, then God will be like, and then we're going to malice. And then, yeah, and then it's just over for you. This is how a lot of religions view God. But Christianity, God brings justice in dying for our sin and salvation by grace. He loves his enemies and he makes them into his children. This is how Paul brings it together. Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, So be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. If you're going to be his kid, you've got to act like his kid and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You want your enemies to become your friends? You must offer forgiveness first. Jesus suffered, Jesus died, and you may at times need to, may need to let some stuff just wash off you. You know, oh, they hurt me. Let it wash off. Wash off. Where is your justice? It's at the cross of Christ. Where is their justice? It's at the cross of Christ. Because it, either the cross of Christ or the last judgment for God, one or the other. Our job is to display the gospel so our enemies become our friends. You know how you know when you're bitter? You cannot pray for salvation or good things to come to the people you are angry at. That's how you know when you're bitter. When, when, I, when I have friends around me who are angry at somebody else, I ask them, were you praying for this other person? No, why would I do that? <laughs> I'm like, because that will actually soften your heart towards other people, learning how to pray for them. Uh, you know, if they reject, they reject. But you live for Christ. I usually get one question when I, when I talk about this. They say, well, don't we put people in jail? Of course we do. Of course we do. Okay, but we also offer forgiveness. In this world, you know, forgiving somebody and letting that bitterness wash off of us does not negate the consequences for actions. But it does mean reconciliation as best as possible. If someone beats you, file a police report. Send them to jail. You know, you don't, don't go around them. Don't take your kids around them. But in your heart, you must offer reconciliation and forgiveness in your heart or you will become bitter. If you're ever waiting for somebody to change for you to forgive them, you will never get rid of this animosity in your heart. You will never get rid of bitterness. Your forgiveness of others is solely contingent on Christ. Jesus forgave you, you respond by being forgiven. And as long as you are bitter with somebody, you are standing between them and Jesus. Get out of the way and let Jesus go after him. Because it's beautiful when he does. With the hope that good things would happen, right? That, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is hard, but it is very true. So you must ask yourself, where are you bitter? Where do you need to repent from where you were bitter? And where have you legitimized your own anger? Because only in Christ is any good possible. We have a hope, we have a promise that we can be reconciled to God and others. Jesus offers that. We need to be a people who actually live that. We come to communion every single week because in communion, Jesus reconciles us to himself. And it's, it's remembrance of what he did. That's why you take that cracker and you break it like his body was broken for us. And you dip it in the wine or the grape juice because that's like it represents his blood that was shed for us. So we can be a reconciled people. So we're going to worship God through communion. We're going to worship God through song. The band's going to come up. 
And we usually do communion and more music after the message because it gives us a chance to respond, to reflect on what God is trying to do in our hearts. So we give Him the time to do that. So take a couple of moments before you take communion. Pray. Ask God and say, God, you know, where in my life do I need to forgive? What things do I need to wash off me that I'm making bigger than they should be? Where am I bitter? Where do I need to seek reconciliation? Even if somebody else won't reconcile with me, where do I need to forgive? Now, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back if you need prayer. If you don't even know how to begin those steps, they would love to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus, uh, that's the place to start. Pray with them. They'd love to introduce you to who Jesus Christ is. Now we're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall in the back. And we give simply because God gave so much to us. And giving is also part of our worship. And worship God through fellowship. There's some food and goodies in the back. And we, we fellowship together. We get to know each other. I, and people will drive you nuts. I promise you. This is true. Okay? <laughs> make, make no bones about it. People will drive you nuts. But I think the reason God has us all unique in our own little perspectives about life is that it truly teaches us to grow up and be more mature people by dealing with all the different personality issues that are out there. So get to know some different personalities over coffee and sugar. Because <laughs> if, if, if you amp it up, it's just going to... Yeah, okay. Of course, you've got the fellowship. Uh, I, I encourage you guys. Uh, reconciliation. Drop the bitterness. Drop the bitterness and you'll be more the child of God that He wants you to be. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we as your people would be those who truly want to seek reconciliation. God, it's a hard thing. It's so much easier to talk about it for half an hour than to actually spend the time doing it with others. And yet you call us to be a people who live reconciled lives who live in honesty and forgiveness and goodness and grace. All of the things which you have bestowed upon us as your people. So I ask where we are bitter in our hearts that you would root that out. You would take your shovel of grace and you would dig it up so that we can deal with it with you. And then in turn, go in the strength that you give and deal with it with others. Father, have us truly be your church, your community that lives in a way that displays who you are by how we love, by how we reconcile, by how we live. As a people who can truly be free of bitterness and rage and malice and live life of grace and love so that you are honored by all that we do. Teach us to be imitators of our God as we are dearly loved children and that we would live lives of love. Amen.